welcome to the pulpit, uh, Chris Reed. Um, I met Chris uh, a few months ago. I would, I'm on the committee of our presbytery that interviews um, and oversees the ministries of RUF, that is Reformed University Fellowships, in, uh, in the context of our presbytery. And Chris uh, was being interviewed to possibly take a position as an intern at uh, Howard University with the ministry there. Um, and he's just finished uh, his theological degree at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and, uh, and just moved here just a few weeks ago. So it's our privilege. He grew up in the Chicago area, but now he calls Washington his home and uh, just barely. <laughs> and uh, so we're grateful that God has uh, allowed us the privilege of, of hearing God speak his word through you this morning. So thank you, Chris. Good morning. I'm going to say what a joy it is to be with you all this Sunday. I bring you greetings uh, from the Windy City, uh, but I'm grateful to be here laboring with you uh, here in uh, Virginia for the gospel. Thank you, Pastor Lash, for the uh, gracious invitation, and thank you, church, uh, for welcoming me this Sunday. Um, this Sunday, our scripture reading and sermon will come from the Psalms. After all, it's said of the Psalms that whatever your particular need or trouble, there is a Psalm for it. And so I'd like to take us to Psalm 30, looking at the wondrous grace of God. Uh, so I invite you to meet me uh, in Psalm 30 in the scriptures for our scripture reading this morning. This is a Psalm of David. He says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. And have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cry to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me once more, please? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you this Sunday. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, quiet our hearts, and I pray that our hearts would be fertile soil to receive your word and act in obedience. Jesus, we thank you for your loving grace and mercy. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen. The story is often told of a great singer, an elderly Christian man, who learned that he had cancer of the tongue and that surgery was required. 
In the hospital just before the operation, the man asked the doctor, Are you sure I will never sing again? The surgeon, finding it tough to answer the gentleman's question, simply shook his head, No. The patient sat up for a moment. I've, I've had many good times singing the praises of God, he said. And now you tell me I can never sing again. I have one song that will be my last. It will be of gratitude and praise to God. And it was there in the hospital that the elderly man sang Isaac Watts' famous hymn, I'll praise my maker while I have breath and while my voice is lost in death. Praise shall employ my nobler power. And I, I bring it up because here we have a man who, as he approached the last few moments he had to sing, recognized the beauty and necessity in praising the Lord. As he reflected on the faithfulness of God, what came out of him was a song of praise. And it begs the question, does it not? When you reflect on the Lord's faithfulness in saving you, what song comes out of you? What song do you sing when you recall the gospel of grace that rescued you? What is, what is your response? What occurs in your soul when you ponder the mercy of the Lord that, that came after you, embraced you, and brought you in close? What, what happens in your heart as you think on the provision and protection of God over the last few years? How He sustained your heart in the midst of unrest, centered your soul amid the protest, sheltered your family during the trials and storms of life. The, the moments you've been unfaithful to the Lord, though He'll never leave nor forsake you, because the Scriptures declare that the proper response to this saving work, the salvific work of Christ, is a song of praise unto Him. When the children of Israel were hunted down by those Egyptians all the way into the Red Sea, but, but God parted the Red Sea, rescuing His chosen ones, Israel praised. When Hannah cried out to the Lord for a son after years of infertility, and God provided a son in the prophet Samuel, Hannah praised. When the people of God wandered in the wilderness, uncertain where they'd find water, but God made the well spring up again, the people of God praised. And, and this is the model for the church, for praise recalls that it was God's grace that saved me and not my own works done in righteousness. Praise reminds my soul there is someone reigning and ruling who remains in control. Praise enables me to lift up my eyes to the hills to see where my help comes from. Praise is what, the, what we render the Lord for all of His blessings. And, and I must admit, if there were days and seasons when it'd be tough to want to lift up a shout of praise, to, to sing to the Lord, it has been the last few, has it not? We battle in our hearts on a Sunday morning to, to lift our hands and voices unto the Lord as we lament the discouragement the trial and trouble that we've had to endure. There's a high school or college student this Sunday struggling to worship Jesus with your whole heart, discouraged that you just can't see what Jesus is doing at all in your life or in the world. There's a young professional who deeply loves the Lord, though disappointment in relationships and your career has your mind in another place this Sunday. There's a, pres there's a parent wrestling to stay focused throughout the service as you fear raising your littles in this painful, hurting, divided world. There's an employee anxious for what's to come. 
There's a pastor who's just trying to keep your own soul encouraged as you fight fatigue from pastoring in this current culture. Be that as it may, when the church rehearses the mighty acts of God's salvation, we remember that the Lord is still a Savior, that He's still a rescuer. And, and this is where we find David in Psalm 30. I must say it's an interesting song. These are dark circumstances for the king of Israel. David is in deep. He's in a dire situation. And while he doesn't fill us in at the opening why he is in deep, the, the circumstances that have led to his plight, it is evident that plight is written all over his life at the moment. David is in distress, devastation, in darkness, near destruction, but, but he has come to proclaim that God is a deliverer. God intervenes, he moves on behalf of his people. And when you and I reflect on the gracious salvation of the Lord, where, where we'd be had it not been for his mercy, that should compel us to praise his name. In essence, David teaches us this morning, we ought to praise the Lord with our whole lives because He has been faithful to rescue us in our lowest moments. Can you picture it? David is a member of a historic church in Virginia. It's the testimony portion of the service where congregants walk on stage to tell stories of God's amazing grace. And David is so excited that this Sunday he's been given the microphone. David says, in short, God rescued me and I've got a story to tell. First, I've got to declare what God saved me from. It was holistic salvation. First, God saved me from my enemies. Verse 1, David opens up, he says, I will extol, exalt, praise you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. First and Second Samuel taught us that, that David, while he was a leader of God's people who was used mightily by God, David was a man of many foes. If there was anyone in the scriptures constantly confronted by attackers, it was David. This is David we're talking about. David the shepherd anointed to succeed Saul as the new king of Israel. David, that great commander of Israel's army. David, the one who ruled the United Kingdom, reigning over both Israel and Judah. David, though, who was known as a man after God's own heart, who planned to build the temple of the Lord, still fell, as we know, into grievous adultery deception and murder as a member of God's covenant family David knows about battling enemies from the time he was anointed to be king David has had people chasing after him slandering his name trying profusely to harm him whether it be the jealousy of a king Saul warriors of the Philistine army members of his own family David has faced many foes and and it's here in Psalm 30 he comes to a time in his life when the heat has been turned up much too high the number of those attempting to assassinate him has grown he he can't hide out any longer nonetheless David has come to report that despite the attack of his enemies he serves a God who has protected him a God who has sheltered him when David could not safeguard his own life, the Lord stood up for David. And like many of the psalmists, David has come to find out that the Lord is indeed a shield for the righteous, a towering mighty fortress. He's a stronghold for the oppressed. 
And this word is a reminder to us that the same Lord who was a refuge for David remains a refuge for you and me today. Church, the world indeed, indeed does seem chaotic. It's tougher to live as a devoted follower of Jesus in our culture. There are those who oppose the church, trying to tear down the name of Christ. Our society has turned up the heat upon Christianity, slandering and abusing Christians. But know that there is a king named Jesus who stands in front of us, holding us up. Christ is still on the throne. There may be rebels in his kingdom, but that never changes the fact that he's still the king. That he still reigns and rules and governs over all creation. That his eyes are everywhere, keeping watch on the evil and the good. That he has a plan for the righteous and the wicked. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, for they will soon be cut down. Has he not carried us thus far? Has he not always fought on our side? May we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to God who judges justly. Mothers, entrust your children to the Lord. Fathers, entrust your family to the Lord. Young people, entrust your very life to the Lord, for he is our refuge. David says, my enemies could have overtaken me. They would have boasted and rejoiced over my death. But when I didn't have the strength to withstand him, God stepped in as my defense. Though not only was David in distress because of the pursuit of his enemies, but, but David wants you and me to know that he suffered from illness. But God. Therefore, he praises God because God healed him of all his diseases. Verse 2, David proclaims, O Lord, my God, I call to you for help, and you have healed me. David explains, my, my situation grew so bad that I was aching. I was in so much pain that I was near the end of my strength. And though I was in pain, I had just enough strength to cry, Lord. But, but when I cried for the Father's help, the Father heard me. God answered me, and God healed me. And now watch the text. David doesn't specify how or what God actually healed, but, but that simply communicates to you and me that whatever needed to be made well, it was the Lord who performed the miracle. When David's feelings were stepped on, God picked them back up. After David lost loved ones, lost hope, became weary in his soul, God, God pieced back together the broken pieces of his heart. He healed David's aching bones and revived his tired muscles. When, when sickness and illness ate at David's body, God sustained him. When doctors had no good word for David, the great physician stood up and stood close by his side. When, when David never thought he'd be whole again, God made him whole. When, when destructive thoughts waged war in David's mind, God gave David a peace that surpasses all understanding. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, God restored his health. David says, I serve a God who hasn't met a sickness hasn't met a disease that he cannot heal. And not only is he able to heal, but he's willing to heal. Therefore, I praise his name because he healed me. 
And so David is grateful to God for saving him from his enemies and healing him of diseases. But David's distress was much deeper. For there was a point when his life sank as low as it could go. David was near death itself. But he praises the Lord for bringing David's life up from the grave. Verse 3, he declares, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. David says, it's, it's tough for me to admit, but there was a place where I went far deep as I could possibly go. I, I could only use the name Sheol to describe my helpless estate. You know, Sheol is that place of the underworld, the grave, the pit, darkness and destruction. And in essence, David says, I was as good as dead. But God, like a bucket that's lowered to draw water from a well, reached down and pulled my life back up. David was unable to climb out of the pit he was in. He had no way of rescuing himself. But, but when he had no hope to hold on to, no light, God brought him back up. He raised up his life. But it goes a step further. David says, God, you restored me to life from going down to the pit. David explains that the path he was on, the direction he was heading, he was on his way to the grave. People David knew had gone the same way, perished. But for some reason, as David was on his way down, God chose to reach down and grab David just before he could reach death. Being inches away from hitting the floor at just the right time, God stretched out his hand and caught David up by his shirt, and he pulled him up from the pits. David's spirit was as low as it could go, but God grabbed him at the last moment. Friends, this is what the Lord does in our lowest moments, in our dark nights of the soul. God reaches out to us in mercy as we are trapped in sin, unable to ransom our own lives. God moves toward us in grace, pulling us back out. As we are just about to give up on life and ministry, God will compel a friend to shoot us a text saying they're praying for us. In our dark days of feeling unseen, unheard, and uncared for, God, God will impress on someone's heart to invite us in for fellowship. When, when we have nowhere to turn, God turns toward us and pulls us back in to His loving presence. Has He ever done it for you? Has the Lord encouraged your weary soul lately? Did He meet you as you were praying for His help? As your heart was heavy, your soul was downcast, did he, did he ever bring you a word of encouragement? Did he reach down in your despair and pull you back up to hope? David was done, but God wasn't finished with David. David had no life left in him, but God wouldn't allow it. He's, he's a God who restores life from going down to the pit. Therefore, David lifts the Lord up in praise because the Lord lifted him up from his distress. But David sharing this, this testimony, this story of God's grace is not only a chance for the church to rejoice with him, but it's an opportunity to see how God's character remains the same for those in the church. And this is what David invites God's people into. David proclaims the goodness of God's salvation, but then calls the congregation to, to join him in praising God. He says in verse 4, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. David shifts 
from declaring how God delivered him to calling the church to share his joy and use their voices to praise the Lord. He says, I praise the Lord for his steadfast love and grace, but, but I invite you, church, to praise him as well. You see, David knows we ought to continually praise the Lord for who he is. For it's the psalmist in Psalm 29 who says, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Worship him in the splendor of his holiness. But now David also calls the congregation to give thanks for what the Lord has done. Can you see it, church? David is on the microphone. He says, The Lord protected me from my enemies. And many in the church shout, Amen. Then he goes, he says, I cried to the Lord and he healed me. And some people in the back stand up in excitement. He goes, God restored my life from going down to Sheol. And, and a few others in the front start to clap. But now David moves, and this is where it gets weird. He says, now sing praises, you all, and some congregants join in praising God. But at the very same moment, others grow upset. Praise God. David, it's easy for you to praise God. You're on the other side of your deliverance. But me? No, David, I'm in a pit right now. Exhaustion. Loneliness, sadness and stress, pain in my work, strife in our nation, broken relationships and physical ailments. And you're giving your testimony and you're telling me to genuinely sing praises to God, to tell God thank you? Why? But watch David's answer as to why you should praise the Lord amid hardship. Because of the Lord's promise that sadness is temporary, but gladness is everlasting. Trouble is momentary, but God's favor is for a lifetime. For David declares in verse 5, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. In other words, though we may cry and ache and suffer today at some point, it will all have to cease. Night cannot last forever, but morning always has to follow. That word tarry in the original Hebrew gives the image of a traveler who lodges with one temporarily, a guest who spends the night, stays over for the night. And for those of you who have hosted guests in your home who overstayed their welcome, you know they might have to spend the night, but in the morning... <laughs> They've got to go, and, and David declares that tears and affliction may have to spend the night. Sadness and sorrow might have to stay the week, but when morning comes, they all have to leave. Joy is assured. Joy is on the horizon. This is the hope of the Christian. For the sufferings of this present time cannot compare to the glory that will be revealed. This light momentary affliction is preparing us for that glory. Goodness is coming. God is moving. Remember, David wept over his sin with Bathsheba, but God forgave and healed him. Job wept after he lost his children, his wealth, and his possessions, but God restored everything twice over. Jesus wept over the death of his friend Lazarus, but the Lord said, Lazarus, come forth. Mary wept as she watched them crucify her son and lay him in a tomb on Friday. That tomb was way silent on Saturday, but early on Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. 
because pain does not last forever. Death is not always a reality. Tears don't always fall down our face. This is why Paul said, we're afflicted but not crushed. Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, perplexed but not despairing, for we know that joy is on the other side. God will restore what's been lost, though for some of us it might not be on this side of eternity. But our confidence that our situation will change is not in the situation itself, but it's in God who's above our situation. We, we've tasted and seen the Lord's goodness. We know His character and His love for us. We know that for those who are in Christ, joy in the end is assured. And because joy in Christ is assured, we can rejoice before our situation changes by, by keeping your focus on Christ. You can celebrate that deliverance will come at His return. Though we're currently in the night, we can still praise and sing praises to Him like it's the morning. Now David has a confession. Oh. He says, I haven't admitted it until now. I got you on my side. I proclaimed to you how God rescued me from the pit. But I never told you why God had to rescue me from that pit. It was my own fault. I've got to now declare why God reached down to rescue me. Verse 6, David has to confess to you and me. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. Now up to this point, David has only proclaimed that God saved his life. He described what God saved him from. But remember, David never disclosed in the opening verses of the psalm the cause of his distress, the situation that led to his despair. He, he only mentioned that he was in a desperate situation from which the Lord had to rescue him. But it is here where David begins to fill in the background of his crisis. David explains the reason he found himself in a pit on death's doorstep was because he... Turned from the Lord in his prosperity. Friends, the Bible tells us that it was God alone who chose David out of his brothers, anointing him to be the new king of Israel. It was God alone who lifted David to prominence in the kingdom. God alone who ascended David to his high position and has sustained him in that high position. It was God alone who, who blessed David with abilities, leadership opportunities, gifts, and military victories. So much so that David prospered and was secure in his rule. However, it was in the Lord prospering and securing David that David became self-confident and arrogant. He interpreted the blessings of God as his own accomplishments. But even worse than David attributing his success and rule to his own doing, he became self-sufficient, prideful in his own power to preserve him from trouble. I shall never be moved, David used to tell his closest buddies, refusing to acknowledge that it was actually God's hand that was holding him steady. It was by God's favor that his mountain, his rule, had any stability. And this is the temptation for you and me this morning, friends. That when our lives are stable, safe and secure, we forget that it is God alone who has been our security. 
We disregard the favor of God over our achievements and accomplishments, the high positions we've attained, the places we've traveled. We often fail to acknowledge that it was the Lord who gifted us with those talents and abilities, the Lord who wakes us up every morning to go to work and accumulate the wealth that we have, the Lord who gives us the intellect to study in college, the breath in our lungs to fulfill our daily tasks as parents, David became self-confident and self-sufficient. Though it was the Lord's favor over David's life, David became secure in his own strength. During my first couple years of seminary, I had the privilege of volunteering every Thursday with North Chicago Community Partners. It was an elementary school, after school program. I, I really love those young ones. It was like the highlight of my week. Every Thursday I'd go, I'd go in and, and they'd say, what age group, Chris, do you want to work with? I said, I'm a Christian man. I'm here to serve. Put me wherever. They said, great. We need you with the preschool and the kindergartners. I said, oh, Lord. <laughs> and one day, the children, they were making some sort of craft. And so I was making my rounds around the tables, you know, helping, encouraging. Hey, it looks great. And one girl called me over. She had to be about four or five. And she said, Mr. Chris, my picture is finished. I said, it looks amazing. She says, I need you to write my mother's name on the picture that I'm making for her. And I thought, hmm, I could easily grab this marker and write her name. But, but I wanted her to think that she did it herself. It would be such a great accomplishment. And so I thought, all right. You grab the marker, she grabs it, and I put my hand over hers, and there on that page we drew her mom's name. I knew in my brain that it was really me who was drawing the letters. I knew that if at any point I'd remove my hand, this name would get messy. But I continued to hold my hand over hers, and we drew her mother's name till the picture was finished. Fast forward a few moments, it's pickup time. I walk the children out with some of the other teachers and I see the girl's mom run up and, and as all moms are, she's excited to see her four-year-old after a long day of work. She says, my baby, and she runs and they hug each other. She says, look what I made. And she shows her the picture and then she says, wow, you even spelled my name right. And the girl says, yes, mom, and I did it myself. And I said, <laughs> but it was then that I got convicted. Because how often do you and me do the same? We tell others about our accomplishments, our strength, every place we've been believing that we've done it on our own, forgetting the hand that's always been on ours. But is there anybody in the church who would admit, if God had allowed me to write my own story, if God allowed me to direct my own life path, who knows where I'd be this Sunday, but I'm thankful that he's always kept his hand on me, guiding me, ordaining and orchestrating every event in my life, providentially moving all things according to his good purpose, instructing me to turn right when I wanted to turn left, telling me to say no when I wanted to say yes. If it had not been for the Lord, where would I be this morning? And this is where David messed up. He failed to remember the care of God and instead trusted in himself. He stopped entrusting himself to the provision and the protection of God. He, he stopped seeking the Lord's face. And as discipline for David's pride, God removed his face from David. God removed his presence. What a sad day. 
God took away his favor and protection, not because God was done with David, but this is redemptive. For this would remind David that every good thing in his life was a blessing from above. In order to get David back to seeking his face, because for some of us, it isn't until God has to remove his hand that we actually remember to seek God's face. It's not until we face a pandemic or a trial, until we come to the end of ourselves, that we realize just how insufficient we are and how much we need God. David says in verse 7, God, when you hid your face, I was dismayed. God, when you left, I was troubled, terrified, staggered, and stunned. When God removed himself, David became distressed. This is how David found himself in the pit. Nevertheless, it's in this distress that we learn how sufficient the Lord is. And this is what happens to David. He, he finds himself in deep and from the pit he cries out to the Lord for deliverance. Verses 8 and 9 he says, To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? It's here in David's lowest moment. He, he knows he's turned from God but decides to cry out anyway to the Lord for rescue. He, he pleads for God to show him mercy. But notice the content of David's prayer, however. What's, what's his plea? What's his argument to God? God, what profit is there if I die? If I go down, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? David lists these rhetorical questions to proclaim to God that he will receive no praise if he allows him to die. God, God, if you don't rescue me, who, who's going to be able to testify to your amazing power, your mighty acts of deliverance? Who's going to tell of your goodness? If I die, what, what good news will there, will there be to proclaim? Who's going to tell the world of your greatness, O Lord? And, and David is giving us rich theology this Sunday. He's explaining the reason God has showered you with his forgiveness and mercy is not so you'd keep the message of his love to yourself, but so that you would tell the world about it. That the ultimate end of God's salvation is our praise of him. God didn't save us to keep the word of his deliverance to ourselves, but it was Peter who said, You are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. David argues he would be unable to praise God or tell others of his faithful restoration if he were dead. But then he goes a step further. He cries, Hear, O Lord, in verse 10, and be merciful to me, O Lord, be my helper. Be the one who comes to my rescue. Be a helper to me, Lord God. And, and here we see the wondrous mercy of God on display once again. After David cries out to his God, watch what the Lord does. God inclines his ear to David. He bends down to listen. God is moved with compassion to David. And God extends grace to David. For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. 
And this is the character and nature of our God. For God said of himself in Exodus 34, I am a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Though it was David's own fault, he was in deep. Not only does God still listen to David's prayer, but God runs to David's aid. He reaches down and pulls David back up. God's grace anticipates our rebellion, and yet it ensures our salvation. We, we do not deserve to be saved, but God still saves us. And now David is here to tell not only of God's rescue, but God's restoration. Verse 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. David, who was just in Sheol, weeping and wailing, is now making shouts of joy and celebration. David says, I, I've got to give God glory because he moved me from one state to another. He's, he's turned my life completely around. He's taking me from sorrow to laughter, from sadness to pleasure. He's restored my excitement and renewed my strength. He, he gave me a reason to get up in the morning. He gave me a reason to smile and lift my hands and clap in church again. He's, he's delivered me. Is there anyone who has a testimony like David? Has God done a great exchange for you? He, he, he saw you run from the Father's house. You came back and He gave you a robe and a ring. He killed the fattened calf. He threw you a celebration. And now he's taken your loneliness and given you a church family. When you had no direction, he put you on his path. When you were covered in shame, he, he clothed you in the righteousness of his son. When you didn't have the strength to hold on in faith, he held on to you tighter still. Has he filled you with his presence, covered you with joy? David says he's turned my mourning into the morning. And because of God's gracious salvation, David vows to live a life of praise unto God. Verse 12, he closes, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. David recognizes that God is worthy of worship, deserving of all his praise. For the word glory refers to one's whole being, one's entire life. Thus, God, because you delivered me, every part of my life will now be of praise unto you. It begs the question, what does it look like for us to be a church who praises the Lord with our whole lives? It looks like committing ourselves to the proclamation and defense of the gospel. Living for God's glory alone. Taking the time to show gratitude to God for his great salvation, placing our full trust in him for stability and security that we may persevere until he comes again. And as I close this morning, today we learn that as humans we often find ourselves in distress, in dire situations, whether it be on the count of our on account of our own sin and rebellion or merely because of the fallen world we live in. We end up in pits near Sheol, unable to rescue ourselves in need of a Savior. But David is here to proclaim that God is a rescuer. God is gracious and compassionate to see the, wet, the mess we've made and still come to rescue us. God is faithful to save his people from the pit. Therefore, he is worthy of all of our praise. And David knows this. Because this is David's story. 
Though I've come this morning to declare this is not just David's story, for David was not the only one in the pits, because you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were following the course of this world, unable to revive ourselves or reconcile the chasm that separated us from God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive together with Christ. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us according to His own mercy. As our catechism tells us of our confessional standards, God did not leave us to perish in the estate of sin and mercy, but delivered us and brought us into an estate of salvation by Christ our Redeemer. And now we're in here on Sunday from weeping to dancing, from night to morning. And now Christ calls us to respond by praising Him and not being silent. By proclaiming to the world the good news of God's grace. For He is our wonderful, merciful Savior. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Dear God, I thank You for blessing us uh, with Your Word. God, I pray that we would not be silent of Your mighty acts of salvation. You have saved us in Christ not because of our own works done in righteousness, but because of your own grace, your compassion, your mercy. God, I ask that we would continue to rehearse uh, your amazing grace, not only this Sunday, but in our lives uh, from this point forward. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.